Welcome to Props and Hops, powered by Dimers.com. I'm your host, Matt Landis, here for part three of the Bet Bash bonus series. Honored today to be connecting with David Purdom, sports betting reporter at ESPN. David, welcome to Props and Hops. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, a lot of people listening to this already familiar with your work, I'm sure. But for some of the unacquainted, or if anybody could use a bit of a refresher, would you mind kicking it off with just a brief elevator pitch on your background? Yeah, I was a uh, traditional sports writer. I worked for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, covering everything from high school sports to college sports, uh, professional sports, cover some Falcons home games and things like that. Um, The newspaper industry was going kind of downhill at this time. This is like 2008, and I was getting ready to have a a kid, a daughter. Uh, And so I started freelancing, and I started freelancing for a site called Covers.com. Sports bettors know what that site is for sure. And just kind of found that I was really interested in, in the characters and the stories that came out of the, the sports betting world. I always bet. I'm a small better, never claimed to be a, an expert by any means. Um, but it just was really interesting to hear the, some of the tales. So that's when I kind of gravitated towards uh, more writing about sports betting. And, you know, 10 years later, whatever you're up, 13 years, 14 years later, here I am with ESPN. I'm in my uh, going in my eighth year at ESPN writing about sports betting. Wow, congratulations on that. And I am fascinated by one element in particular with your role where, especially with an outlet like ESPN, you're writing for a mainstream audience. And I'm wondering, like with today's article, you wrote about the disparity in the betting markets between the AFC and the NFC that's now live on ESPN Shock. How do you go about making sure that you're providing valuable information to people looking at this from a betting point of view? but also keeping it understandable for that kind of mainstream audience that might not be hardcore betters coming to ESPN. Huge challenge, huge challenge. It's not something that uh, I've uh, conquered for sure. My editors will always tell me, hey, you got to explain it more, more uh, simplicity and, and just to have it more for a broader audience that he could understand it. In terms of writing for information, for value, uh, for betters, I don't think I really provide any, to be honest, other than entertainment. My attempts when I write stories are not to uh, tell you who to bet on or, you know, pick out a winner or any of that. Like I said, I'm just a writer. I'm not a very good sports better. When I bet, I bet like $22 to win 20. I do it for completely fun. So uh, I just like the stories that come out of and the news that come out of the betting industry uh, uh, is kind of my approach. Would you say there are any topics that might surprise you when it comes to what you can see on the back end, how much traction some topics get, or perhaps conversely, how little traction other things might get, despite how exciting they might seem as you're putting them together? Yeah, sometimes. Um, sometimes I'll be surprised on just how people are, how many people are interested in something as simple as the odds to win the NFL MVP. Uh, it's crazy that, you know, people just want to see who's the favorite, who's next, who, where their quarterback or or favorite player is listed. And it could be something as simplistic as that. Um, there's also uh, at the end of the tournament game on Monday night, the championship game, I'll have something on the odds for next year to get a tournament. And people just love that. They just click on that, see where their team, their favorite program uh, is in the odds for next year. And, and those things are so boring to write, to be honest. I mean, you're like so-and-so Duke is the favorite and you know, so-and-so is the second favorite and so on. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not a fun thing to write. It's kind of a grind, but it's amazing how, how popular some simple stories like that can be. 
Yeah, I think especially in the NFL or once March Madness wraps up, I mean, the business of betting can be a 365-day-a-year endeavor. So oh, as yeah. soon as somebody cuts down the nets on Monday night, uh, going to be eager to see what things look like projecting ahead to next season. But before we get that far ahead of ourselves, I want to zoom out a bit and touch on something first broken here on Props and Hops when I had Spanky on a few weeks ago. And that is that you will be moderating a panel titled Ethics in Sports Betting Sunday at 9 a.m. as part of Bet Bash. And this should be a good one to kick off that series of panels. Two bookmakers, Matthew Metcalf from Circa and Johnny Avello from DraftKings, as well as two pro bettors, Alan Boston and Chris Bruno. And I'm wondering, with heavyweights on a panel like this, what's it like for you preparing for the role of moderator? And what do you think people can expect? Oh, I'm excited. It's going to be interesting, right? I mean, the bookmaker professional better relationship is just it's hard to see that ever you know being very cordial um you both people are trying to take the other person's money right you know and so there's obviously going to be some animosity there at all times and some people are able to handle that relationship better than others uh, you know alan has been doing this for a long time alan boston uh, one of the greatest college basketball betters anybody ever ever thought or, or, or at least his reputation is and you know he is very outspoken and he does not like how the books treat sharp betters and professional betters and uh, whether they're limiting them keeping them from betting small bets banning them all together or other things you hear is you know somebody tries to place a bet they get the spinning wheel they get a bet delay and all of a sudden the odds change before their bet can go through and they're like well what's going on there so uh I don't know the answer to how um, this relationship could ever improve. Uh, we're going to try. We're going to try to discuss some ideas on, on what both sides of, of the window can do, the bookmaker and the better, to improve it. Uh, and then we're also going to discuss kind of some of the ethics uh, around it. You know, is betting both sides of a game kind of an arbitrage type player? Uh, is that break the spirit of sports betting, some kind of unwritten rule? Who knows? You know, uh, when you talk to bookmakers, why do you not like that? And they say, well, you end up having all your money on the dog at the best price and all your money at the favorite at the best price. So you have the worst, worst of it both ways. So um, it's going to be very interesting to hear what those guys say. Uh, I'll be looking forward to it. I think something that can be especially valuable with you moderating this panel coming at it from, you know, what you seem to admitting a bit of an outsider's perspective when it comes to the ins and outs of what goes on on either side of the counter as you mentioned earlier, and it's in your Twitter bio, I love it. I write about gambling for ESPN Shock. I'm not good at gambling. And I think that even with that in mind, as evidenced by your role on this panel, you have some interactions with the best of the best on both sides of the counter. And from that kind of exposure, not saying that you're here to you know, give people winners or anything like that, but what have you started to gather might be some of the most important skills in betting through your interactions as a writer for ESPN Shock? Oh, certainly price shopping, right? You, you guys got to be price sensitive. You got to look around for the best number because a half a point here or a one point here or, you know, a few dollars on the money line, whatever you're getting the best price. Uh, if you are betting a lot and consistently, those little things add up. That's the edge that you have to have. You have to win those ones where you got a half point better than everybody else um, to, to, to make a long-term profit. Second thing I would say is, you know, money management. You, know, you, you really need to establish a bankroll, 
a lot of people use the Kelly criteria as two to five percent of your bankroll to place per wager. And that sounds so little when you only have, you know, maybe five hundred dollars uh, as a bankroll. Maybe you're only betting ten bucks. And uh, I, I just think that is so important, especially for new bettors. Right. A lot of college kids get start playing. They think that they're never going to lose that much. And all of a sudden they get way behind. They can't pay their bills and things spiral out of control. So uh, I, I just would really encourage people to. Uh, I always say people say, oh, bet the max, right? No, bet the minimum, whatever the smallest amount to let you bet. Do that. Have fun with it. And that reminds me of something we'll touch on a bit later. One of the lessons I've kept in mind over the years from the late, great David Malinsky. He talked about the first time I met him. If people reduce their wager size, they'd probably be amazed at how much they will still feel the sweat if people are doing just just for the, you know, the emotional ride. Uh, But without putting yourself in a position where paying bills or fulfilling other obligations could be an issue. You know, you can still get a lot out of it mentally without risking more than you should. So I think even a lot of pro bettors who may be hearing this would totally agree with that sentiment. So I like that advice. And I'd also love to get a piece of advice for you, if I may, when it comes to aspiring content creators in the betting space. I feel like when I grew up, being an anchor on Sports Center was like the ultimate dream job. And now I think a lot of people might look to what you're doing who are more betting inclined. And is that line between, you know, the leagues and betting starts to blur a little bit. It seems like you're in a sweet spot as a lot of people would probably perceive the current situation. So what would you say some aspiring content creators in the betting space can do to best position themselves? Differentiate yourself uh, for sure. Um, if you need to be passionate about the angles that you take uh, to your content, um, and that's for all writing, right? That's not just the betting space, but you need to be dip- differentiate yourself and you need to be passionate about what you're betting. So when you go into it, you need to decide, okay, am I going to be an analyst here? Or am I going to analyze, provide uh, analysis, uh, betting stuff, or am I going to be a reporter and just say, okay, this is what's going on at the sports book. This is what's going on at the state legislature that, that's going to legalize sports betting and, and things like that. I think you should define your role, make sure you differentiate yourself uh, with your content and your stories and how you present them. Um, and th- those are the two things that I really make sure you're passionate, I guess, is the other thing. You know, if you don't, if you're not super passionate about the subject you're writing, it's going to show right in your writing. I'm going to be able to read it. I'm going to say this guy was bored. And sometimes I'm bored when I'm writing. I'm sure people see it. So uh, those would be my three tips of advice. Would be differentiate yourself, kind of decide what you want to be in terms of analysis or, or, or a reporter uh, and then be passionate about your stories. I think that's a great segue as I think about somebody who differentiated himself, really declared his lane and pursued it with a passion across all walks of life, David Malinsky. And when I think of him, I also often think of you. I mean, it was probably one of the toughest moments of my life in April of 2018. I think it was the morning of April 16th, a Monday, uh, letting people know that he had gone missing. And as tough as that was, one of the silver linings for me was that you reached out immediately, offering to help however possible. And I think more than you or myself being involved in that situation, that says so much about who Dave was. So I'd love it if you could elaborate a bit on your experience getting to know David Malinsky from your perspective over the yeah, years. Absolutely. Just a, a, a mentor of mine, for sure. I first met him at when I started working at Covers.com. Uh, he was one of their experts, guys, the guys that gave out picks and, and so forth. And, you know, I would send out emails for uh, to get some insight from those guys to include in stories. And a lot of the guys would kind of blow me off or their writing would come back and it'd be so sloppy and you couldn't, you know, they just 
really wasn't very good. Dave would write these great, you know, thorough emails, paragraphs and paragraphs. And he's so smart, so wise about it. Uh, so it was great. We always kept in touch. And then he went to work for a site and it kind of put me in a tough spot that I couldn't really uh, visit with him as much. And he never like held that against me at all. Right. You know, whenever I reached out, he understood uh, everything. And it was just that's what that's what Dave Belinsky reminds me. He just he had a good grasp of the thing. A lot of ways he reminds me of Roxy Roxborough. If anybody's ever met Roxy, for sure. Um, they're both so, so smart and reasoned. They always look for the things behind uh, what's going on. And I just really, I miss Dave a lot. Yeah, you and me both and plenty of others, I'm sure. But I appreciate you sharing those words. And when you mentioned Roxy, it makes me think he's going to be at Bet Bash. So um, while it's, it's, devastating on many levels that you know david malinsky can't be the rock star of an event like this that i know he would be if he oh, were yeah. still around today um somebody like roxy a lot of people carrying on that legacy and and beth bash is going to be a great place to soak up some of that wisdom that carries on through this day and then some uh david i think there's a lot more we could build on probably best done in person maybe over a beer or two at bet bash but for now i want to be sure to plug your work so people can know where they can find you if they're not already following what you're up to on Twitter at David Purdom, also your work with ESPN Chalk, and of course at Bet Bash, moderating the panel on the ethics in sports betting Sunday bright and early at 9 a.m. David, anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? No, look, come come introduce yourself. Uh, whoever's out there when, when when I'm at Bet Bash, just come up and I love to meet people and talk and tell me how crappy my writing is or how crappy whatever it is, and we'll we'll, we'll have a drink. Roxy likes vodka, so maybe we'll have a vodka with Roxy. Oh, that sounds great. And if anybody's wondering how they can best identify you, uh, odds are I'll say if you see somebody at Bet Bash with the uh, the Ted Lasso Believe sticker on a hat, odds are that's your man, David Purdom. Uh, so, David, thank you. I'll let everybody know that's going to do it for this episode of the Bet Bash bonus series on props and hops powered by Dimers.com. If you're listening and you've enjoyed this conversation, I'd encourage you to also check out the Dimers Podcast Network at Dimers.com slash podcasts to optimize your gambling content consumption. Tomorrow, we're going to be back at it, sticking with betting media, another first-time guest I've admired for years. But for now, David, once again, thanks for your time and insight, and I look forward to meeting in person at Bet Bash in just a few days. Thank you, Matt. I'm sin, I'm sin, I'm sin.